You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly show with Alexander Schacht, Benjamin Pieske and Sam Gartner designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about quality and yes, we are not talking about SOPs so much here. So stay tuned because this is really, really helpful and will help you to view this very often seen as a very, very dry topic from a different perspective. Stay tuned. When I first kind of got in touch with quality in the pharmaceutical industry, I was overwhelmed by all the different stuff. So many trainings and so many SOPs and so many processes. Oh my God. Only after many years, I learned what really quality is about. And Gary was really fundamental in that. So I'm very, very glad I'm talking with Gary about this topic. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to the PSI website to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to a new episode. And today I'm talking with Gary about a topic that is coming up again and again and again in our discussions as we talk about leadership. And it's surely related to leadership, and that is quality. So for those of you who don't know yet Gary, and hopefully uh, these are not so many, because if you're a long-time listeners and you have uh, heard Gary speaking about leadership on quite a lot of different episodes, maybe Gary, you can very shortly introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. It's, it's great to be here, Alexander. Like I said, quality is a, a topic. It's probably the, the second topic that's near and dear to my heart behind leadership. But yeah, I'm a long-time uh, statistician, been sort of in the business for over 30 years. I worked at Eli Lilly Company for over 28 years. Um, I retired from there in the end of 2017. And at, at the end of my career, as many people know, I, I developed a passion for leadership. And so what I do now is I, I have a business and Alexander and I work together and we have a, a leadership program. And we've been doing that for about three plus years and, and working with, with other companies and doing training. So my, my focus is leadership development, but I am a, a trained statistician and worked in the business, like I said, half that time as a technical statistician and the, the back half in, in various management roles. But my second passion maybe is, is quality. It's something that uh, I've thought long and hard about for probably as long as I've thought about leadership. So I'm happy to be able to join in and talk about this topic because I think it's, it is really relevant, connected to leadership and and it's something that every statistician in the, in, the, in the pharma industry should pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So speaking about the industry, when you 
joined the industry in your first years, how did you think about quality and what did it mean to you at, at the time? Well, it's interesting. I have a funny story because I really didn't think about quality. My, my first exposure to quality, I, I remember, was probably the second or third year in my career. And uh, there were some people that had been in, in our group longer in our manufacturing group, and they were kind of excited about quality. There was this push for quality. I think Six Sigma was just sort of taking off. And I remember our, our group, our small group, went to a, a half-day quality conference. And uh, frankly, I was just disinterested. I was just, I was bored. I, I was like, I, I'm, just, I'm a statistician. I want to just, I want to design experiments. I don't work with scientists. What, what is this quality thing? And so I, I was, I remember almost like falling asleep at this thing. It was just so uh, disconnected in, in some ways, but, but that changed. And, and actually this kind of connects to how you can communicate a topic. Because a few years after that, Uh, one of the statisticians in our group brought in a consultant to do some training in the manufacturing area to the operators and technicians and some of the frontline people and engineers on control charting. And they were going to do about three pretty big seminars. So they asked some statisticians to come in and, and help facilitate because they were going to have them teach them how to do control charting And they were going to have classes about 40, 50 people. So they wanted statisticians to help the instructor go around and make sure they were doing things right. So I was like, yeah, sign me up. I'll get a nice review for me and stuff. But, but this guy, he was a guy by the name of John McConnell, and he was a, um, a disciple of, of W. Edwards Deming. I mean, one of the, the mm -hmm. fathers of true quality. And he just had a, a really great way of communicating quality. And he weaved it into the importance of, of creating change in your organization. He talked about quality management. He talked about leadership. And then I started to see, wow, this is really relevant because being a statistician just goes beyond doing the technical stuff. This, this quality thing, it, it really does touch, touch everything. And one of the things that he did He, he does a masterful job of doing Deming's red bead experiment. And I, I won't go into what the red bead experiment is. If you're not familiar with it, there's, there's recordings of it online. But it's, a, it's an exercise that you think like, okay, this just applies to manufacturing, but it doesn't. And it really teaches you the importance of, of understanding variability. It really teaches you the importance of understanding the capability of your systems and processes. And, and any system and process. That's, I think, the fallacy sometimes is when people hear quality or Deming's quality, they associate it with manufacturing, but it can be applied much, much, much broader than that. And so the, the thing, so I started to, to read more. I, McConnell had some books that I read. I read Deming's book, Out of the Crisis. I got familiar with his 14 points really came to this sort of understanding of quality or the essence of quality being that from, from Deming's standpoint that, you know, all work is a series of interconnected processes. All processes are subject to variability. And if you can work to, to understand and reduce variability, you will improve processes and improve productivity. So it, it's kind of that simple. And that, mm -hmm. that word process, again, isn't specific just to manufacturing. It's any process, and we can we can come back to that later. But that that was kind of my my kickstart into quality, into my interest in the in the mid late 90s.
And for those who don't know who Deming is, he had a major impact on the Japanese automobile industry. And I think it's really funny that that person kind of shaped the high quality coming from Japan that got lots of US <laughs> companies actually into trouble. <laughs> A couple decades, I think. The US took note because they were losing the automobile war to, to Japan. And then they started embracing some of those ideas as well back in the, I think, the 80s. So that's when the quality started coming back to um, the United States. Yeah. And lots of, you know, things like Six Sigma and uh, these type of things come, come from that, that era. And we have then applied it beyond manufacturing and lots of different things. Um, if I think back of my time, I think when people were talking about quality, when I first came into the industry, I was always thinking about, yeah, having the right results. And then I said, oh, yeah, it's, oh, you also need to have validated uh, things. And I said, oh, so validated means that we have a process of making sure it's right. No, validated just means that it's checked in a, in a certain way. It doesn't mean that it's right. <laughs> and then I kind of, all this kind of thing about quality became more and more as a read all these SOPs, make sure you have ticked them, you have kind of signed them, that way, we, we track that everybody is trained and, uh, and that's quality. Since there was kind of, oh, yeah, quality, we need to, you know, we have these deviations and all these kind of things. And, oh, oh that is quality. Oh, okay, okay. And then we have, you know, oh, there's another process. And then, you know, we need to be more kind of descriptive and more kind of detailed in all the SOPs. And then you get longer and longer SOPs. And, you know, there's another case that wasn't really captured in the SOP. So we create yet another SOP. Um, and then you have, you know, you start in a new job. And the first thing that you do is you read SOPs and SOPs and SOPs for weeks and weeks uh, to be compliant with the, with the requirement. So I think this whole quality topic is kind of a, you know, lots of people hate it, actually, because it's just associated with lengthy, lengthy processes uh, and lots of reading. And in the end, there might be an auditor that may find, well, you, have, you haven't written your um, date on the signature page according to our SOP, and therefore that, that's a finding, which reminds me of a funny story I once saw in SOPs that was exactly about how to kind of in which format to write the signature uh, the, to write the dates and on the signature date there were five different formats <laughs> of, the, of the date I said hmm interesting you bring up yeah. a really interesting point this notion of how people view quality and it really ties into this notion of what people think of when you say quality. And unfortunately, that's what they think of. Most people think of, well, quality is on the manufacturing side, they might think of it's meeting specifications, okay? And, and on the clinical side, they think it's um, following SOPs. If we follow SOPs, then we've achieved quality, okay? 
Now, I, I've heard some people say uh, quality is is whatever the customer says it is. Okay, well, maybe I think each of those is they're not wrong, but they're just incomplete. It it just shows I think a a, a small understanding of what quality is. And what you said is true that when people read the SOP, so we we bring someone into a company and the, the first thing they do, I mean, we, we hire them, they're a good statistician, they come in, they're excited to apply statistical techniques and what's the first thing we do? Well, you gotta train on these however many procedures before you can do any actual work that's meaningful, okay? So they're reading these procedures and they get this view of quality that, you know, so I need to follow these SOPs. And if I don't follow these SOPs, then, then that's quality. Okay, and it or that's not you don't have quality, and if you don't abide by the SOPs, if you make a, a mistake, that's a deviation. Okay, deviation triggers an investigation. That then we're going to need to come back to you, and we'll need to take up your time to figure out why you deviated from the procedure. And and oh by the way, this deviation is a metric that gets rolled up to management, and and they don't want to see deviations. Okay, so so you've created this. You, you've taken. You know, an employee who comes in out of school and is excited to work in the industry, and you've just completely flipped around like, oh my gosh, now I got to follow these SOPs to achieve quality. And then they see it as a bad thing. So quality means SOPs, which has a negative connotation in their mind. And then they start to, as you learn, well, can we do, no, you can't do that. That's, you're, that's against the SOPs. Okay. So yeah. it's completely flipped. I mean, my understanding of quality is a good thing, okay? But it's a very different understanding, I think, than, than what most people have and even what organizations have because they will, you know, quality is our number one priority. We, we don't sacrifice quality. Well, what do you mean by that? So what, what is quality? I mean, yeah. it's a great question to start with. And I think most, if, if you ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers or at least maybe five or six. I love the thing about whatever the customer says it is, yeah? If you see just the regulators as a customer and you see their auditors as a customer, yeah? Then it becomes this very, very kind of quality management system documentation kind of thing. Yeah. But I think... We have actually some other customers as well. So for me, kind of ultimately the customers are, are the patients. Yeah? yeah. Their loved ones, their parents or their caregivers. Yeah. These are ultimately our, our customers. What do they expect in terms of quality? I'm sure most of them never heard about SOPs. So I think they, they have a completely different view on quality. And then, you know, we work with physicians. What do they think about quality? Yeah, the prescribing physicians or, or payers. What do they think about quality? So I think there's many more customers than you know uh, external customers, and of course, then internal customers is, is yet another topic. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. If you think about management, yeah, what do they see as quality? Yeah, when when you present results to them, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, we had this conversation once I was doing some uh, uh, like supervisor training and, and someone came in uh, and I forget what their expertise was or what part of the, the but we got onto this discussion of, I think it was, it was like a, 
a, a marketing type of person and, and patient focused type of discussion. And they were talking about the customer, the customer, the customer. And I said, so who do we define as the customer? And they said, the patient. I said, don't we have other customers, internal, external? And they kind of said, well, no, we just, we just think of it as the patient. And, and that's not a bad thing, but, but you're absolutely right. There are many different customers. And so before we kind of get too far down this, um, I guess, rabbit hole, yeah. I, I do want to go back and, and kind of give people a definition of quality. And if, if you don't like the definition, that's fine. But, but I want to sort of provoke people's thinking in terms of having them think, what, what is quality in your mind? What is quality? And, and I would think this definition more fits with, with Deming's quality. Understanding and meeting the prioritized needs of your many customers. Okay. Mm -hmm. So understanding and meeting the prioritized needs of your many customers. So it does acknowledge a lot of those things that you've got multiple customers. Okay. It's not just the regulators. It's not just the patients. Okay. And, and all those customers have needs and sometimes they have competing needs. Cause even if you look at the, the patient, okay. So what's, what's the need of the patient in most people's view of quality and SOPs? Really, it's probably more the safety of the patient. We want to protect the patient. We need to do these things right so that we don't make a mistake. And at least that's the, the notion in manufacturing, I think, to some extent on the clinical side, too. But the patient has another need, too, which is to get the medication sooner. OK, so so there's a speed element to the patient. OK, yeah, they want the safety, but they want the, the new drug. Okay, because they're they're sick. They they want to improve their health. And then, as you said, you've got internal customers. And I I would even challenge people to say that another customer is is the employee, the employee who's having to work with the quality system, if you want to call it that. I refer to it as more a compliance system because most of them are just focused on SOPs. But the employee is also the customer. So again, that, I think that's one of the first learnings is to, to challenge people here to think broadly about who the customer is. And it, and it will change your thinking a little bit, maybe a lot about what quality is. Yeah, going back to the patient, I think patient safety and, and getting the drug to the patient quick is, is important. But also making sure that the patient, together with the physicians that was probably prescribing the drug, has a good understanding of the data so that they can make a good evidence-based decision. I think this is also really important. Yeah? If you communicate your data in a way that nobody can understand it, it's probably easy to tick all the boxes on the compliance side, but it's, it's a completely different thing on the quality side. Yeah. Yeah, that notion of connecting to the customer and thinking about the customer and what their needs are, because, yeah, the, the needs of the different customers are different. And again, competing. So you've got this. And this is this goes back to this notion of, of kind of how people view SOPs, that, that they view them sometimes as a barrier to innovation mm -hmm. or to improvement or letting me do things that are that, that are new and novel. OK, so so that's why there's this this conundrum of, you know, quality, I, I don't see it as a good thing because it keeps me from doing stuff that I think is ultimately going to be better for the business and better for the patient. So the challenge is 
How do you remedy those things in the, the context of, of that definition? It's a big challenge. And I mean, I, I have some ideas as to how, how people do that. Yeah, I think the other point about this huge compliance system is kind of how can you kind of really be well-trained in everything? Yes. How can you really have completely in your mind these hundreds of pages? Yeah. I think if you just see that as a kind of a big library, kind of, of unstructured stuff, it's really, really difficult to remember it and to also put it in action. So I really love to have something like quality principles, some kind of underlying fundaments that, that helps you to understand what it's all about. And that kind of gives you a basis for how to read all the different documents, yeah, to figure out the details. Because I think very often you read it and you think, now what I'm exactly supposed to do here, yeah? And there, I think it's really good to understand, you know, where this is coming from. I was going to say, we should, let's talk about principles. But before we get to that, I want to build up this notion of when people read all these SOPs. And I want to tie this back to Deming because I think it's important from a standpoint of, of productivity in general. Okay, yeah. so so as you said, people start reading these SOPs and it's like, well, how, how do I interpret this? Or I don't understand the context of this or how am I gonna remember all these things? So what does that create? I mean, we talked about how it creates this sort of negative connotation, but it also creates uncertainty and fear. Okay, yes. And yes. so going back to a little quick Deming lesson, one of Deming's 14 principles was drive out fear. Okay. And, you know, even thinking about that, it's like you, you want your employees to be energized, empowered, confident. You don't want them working under fear, like that. Um, I don't know if I should do this because it might violate a procedure. Let me check with someone. Let me ask someone, or let me not do it because I, I'm afraid. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, that's one reason. It's like, we need to, to create these compliance systems or tie the SOPs into uh, the, the business in such a way that people feel confident that they can execute on the SOPs, or as you kind of said, the, the quality principles. And, and I think one, one way to, to explain this notion of quality principles or how it would work, it all, it's always, I think, good to use um, an analogy, okay, or compare it to a, a different type of a, a business. Yeah. And so yeah. One of the ones that stands out to me, and, and this is something I think most people can relate to, is the, the Disney Corporation. Okay, so, and, and I think this is true mostly of Disney parks, but the, the Disney parks, the employees, they have five principles that they have to follow. Okay, it used to be four, and I think they added a fifth one last year. But those, those five principles are safety, courtesy, show, efficiency and inclusion. Okay. So think about how a, a person comes into Disney and they're going to be working. You know, I don't know if they're going to be working to a ride or they're going to be working on the grounds or they're going to dress up like a character or they're going to work a concession stand or whatever that is. Okay. I'm sure they have to go through training. All right. But I would guarantee you that the first thing they're not doing is, okay, come, we'll put you out on the park in a month. 
um, first you're going to have to read all these SOPs. My guess is that they come in and, and they, they do something that says more of, we've got five principles for you to follow. Yeah, we're going to do some training and we're going to talk you through these, but these are the five principles you need to execute on when you're out in the park engaging with each other and engaging with customers. You want to keep people safe. You want to be courteous. We're here to put on a show. So, you know, whether you're in character, whether you're on a ride, we want to keep people entertained and happy. We pride ourselves on efficiency and, and we want to create an, an inclusive type of environment for both employees and for our customers. Okay. Then it's like that, that's so empowering to say, I don't need to remember these 50 SOPs. I got these five things yep. and, and I can go out and, and I can, you know, maybe hear some examples on those, but then I can use my own judgment and, and exercise my own thinking to put those into practice. Okay, yep. so what a very different type of, of a model that then connects our quality back to our business. What what a what a great thought. Okay. Yeah, and also it kind of clearly explains what are the expectations of the customer. Yeah, it's meetings. If you meet these five things, you're pretty likely meeting the ex expectations of the customer. All, all customers. Yep. You're going to make, you're going to make the, the people in the park happy. The business is going to thrive. Okay. And the yep. employees are, are going to be happy because they know how to execute their responsibilities. They know how to work on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. So. Yeah. And it's also prioritized. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not efficiency yeah. at the top. It's safety yeah. at the top. Safety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. Right. If it's costly, but it's safe. Go for the safety, not for yeah. the efficiency. Yeah. 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 So if these five are for Disney, what, what do you think are five good ones for our industry, for, for pharma and healthcare? The, these are five that you could think about. Um, and, and again, I think they're pretty easy to follow. Okay. So the, the first one was patient first. Okay. So again, per, pretty easy. Put the patient first, the safety of the patient, the, the need for the patient to get uh, an efficacious, you know, maybe maybe groundbreaking medication that that improves their life. Okay, that's that's pretty easy to understand. All right, so that was one. Uh, data integrity. Okay, so we all know how important the data is, because the data drives every decision about safety, efficacy. Uh, business decisions, moving drugs forward, submission, all that stuff. So data integrity, very important. Um, the, I think the third one was um, reproducibility. All right. As, as you said, we, we need to be able, someone challenges us, we need to be able to go back and, and reproduce the, the information. I mean, for, for good reasons uh, that, that we can defend what our conclusions were, but we can also learn from that. We can, we can, Uh, generate analyses again, and, and it shows that we're confident in our internal processes. And then the last two, I think, get to the, these other notions. So one was appropriate methodology. Okay, so in a sense, it forces that balance of if, if there's a, a new method, a new idea that makes for a better analysis or an improved design, we, we need to, to be able to integrate that into our business. 
Okay, so it, it, it keeps that notion of we want to innovate. We want to implement new ideas that will speed you know, cycle time or improve our ability to, to discover drugs or, or improve the efficiency in, in evaluating drugs as we, as we manufacture them. And then the, the last one was professional integrity. Okay, so that gets to the notion of, you know, I, I have to make sure that I'm, you know, honest and transparent and, and I'm doing things in the best interest of all our customers. Tell people, this is what is, is part of your core responsibility as a statistician or a statistical program, or even in management, that we want to support and, and drive these five principles. You could have conversations that then when when there were sort of competing challenges, okay, where does this sit from a patient first standpoint? Where do, yeah. where, where do we stand from a data integrity standpoint? From an appropriate methodology, is this gonna speed things up? Is it gonna slow things down? Do we need to change the procedures so that we can incorporate this methodology? Which one do we need to change? And, and the acknowledgement that that was possible, it was possible to do that, okay? So that, so that you didn't feel like, oh, well, the procedure won't allow that. So that's a, a showstopper right there. No, it's, we can change the, the SOPs if they're becoming a barrier to innovation, as long as we can do it in such a way that it doesn't compromise the, the other principles. So it, it creates a, a very sort of meaningful conversation and a path toward achieving what you want, again, for all customers. Okay, so... Yep. And, and again, getting back to this notion that the employee is the customer too, that, you know, I, I could ask you, like, would you rather operate under a system like that, where here's five principles to follow? Yeah, we're going to train on all these SOPs, but they connect to these five principles and understanding and practicing these principles will basically get you to compliance as well as meeting the needs of different customers. Or here's 50 procedures, 60 procedures, maybe more than that. You have to read and sign, understand them all. Don't violate them because we know what the, the consequences of, of that are. Do they use that word or not, there are consequences. So, yeah. yeah. And I've been in lots of different discussions about, okay, this is written in the SOP and we just changed the system. And so, you know, how it's written in the SOP re relates to the former system. How does it actually kind of, how do we implement it now? Yeah. And then if you have these kind of things in mind, it's much easier to do it. Yeah. So we want to achieve reproducibility. Yeah. So you yeah. need to explain why you did it, what you did, make it traceable, these kind of things. So, um, and, and, you know, document it in such a way that another statistician can also understand it. Yeah. A reasonable, well-trained other statistician, <laughs> not, you know, anybody from these that you pull in from the street needs to understand. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, you know, like it, it could be years down the road where someone challenges something about a drug or the analysis of it, and you can go back and here it is. We can, we can easily get the data. It doesn't create... Again, th this gets back to meeting the needs of the customer because later someone has to go back and we can't reproduce it. So then yeah. you're starting from scratch. So then you're taking up resources, okay? People's time, 
All right, so, the, so there's that efficiency piece that actually is a benefit to the business. It's like yeah. if, if, if you write the procedures in such a way that it fits in with what's important to you within the business. If you look at the missions of a lot of pharmaceutical companies, they, they will say things like innovation, you know, patient focus, patient outcomes, delivering value to the patient and to the business and other stakeholders. So, so connecting your, your quality principles to all these things, again, makes it nice and neat and consistent. And, and I would think it would empower an employee to then, this is, I can do this. This is all good. This is a place I want to, I want to work. So. Yeah. The other point is if you then create processes, yeah, you can think about these principles first before you start writing. Yeah. And as you go along, yeah, you can maybe be much more consistent and much more concise in terms of how you do things. Because if you start with these principles, you don't need to tee out, you know, every possibility because yeah. you can, you know, uh, rely more on the on these principles. Yeah. Yeah, it's as you said, and, and I can think of specific examples back when I was in manufacturing where something would happen and the knee-jerk reaction was, oh, we need to write a procedure so that that doesn't happen again. And, and I remember sitting down with one of the directors in one of the pilot plants who was responsible for making the materials to support the clinical trials. And he described it as, you know, every time there, there's something goes wrong, we do that. And what we, we've ended up with is this web of procedures that doesn't mm -hmm. connect, it's just a, a tangled mess that and sometimes they even contradict each other. So an employee's like thinking, how can I do this and that? So, so having this sort of consistent holistic approach from the top down, again, easier said than done, I understand that, but acknowledging that, gosh, maybe there is a better way to do this that would really provide benefits to all of our customers and, and maybe especially so the employees would be a good thing. Yeah. In terms of the, in achieving quality, I think it's not just by writing more SOPs. Yeah. I think that is, uh, I've seen that quite a lot. Yeah. It's this kind of automatic default reaction. Oh, there's something happening. So yeah. we need to, write more SOPs or more lengthy SOPs or kind of more instructive SOPs or whatsoever. I, yeah. I think only focuses on the process always, but it never focuses also on the people. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. I, I can give a, a, an yeah. interesting sort of different perspective on that. And one of the statisticians came to me and said, I'm designing this, this animal study. Okay. And this was, it was an animal study that was based on a very predictive animal model. And they said, we're gonna do this study, we're gonna invest quite a bit of time and money in it from a discovery standpoint. And the results are gonna be used to drive a business decision, to drive the decision around whether we take this molecule for. Okay, now we do lots of dozens of animal studies, dozens of, of other you know, in, in vitro studies. And, and we didn't have the staff to do the things that that you could do on the clinical side. I mean, to, to double program and, and review everything, all right? 
but so but we would follow sort of best practices the in discovery they had these good research practices which were sort of principles that people had to follow but for this situation um, we, we had a discussion and said okay maybe we need to to ramp up our how thorough and sure we are on this one so let's after you write the protocol I want I want you to have this person review it okay I want I want you to work with them and see what they think about the design before we move it forward. When you get the data, I want you to work with with this this programmer, okay, who was a programmer on the on the discovery side, and I want you guys to make sure that that the data has been transferred right, okay, that it is what what it was, what they generated it to be, and then you, you can do the analysis, but I want to have someone else do the analysis, okay. So in a sense, it was it was implementing what you might think about in a, in a clinical program, but it was just for this situation. And we didn't have to do it this way, but as, as we talked, it was like, this is the right thing to do for the business. And sometimes that's how people define quality is doing the right thing. Okay. It was the right thing from a standpoint of, you know, it gave him confidence that, that he wasn't doing anything wrong because this was such a high profile thing. It delivered a concise study design and analysis to the business. Okay. So we met the, the business need and it met the needs of the downstream customers who were then going to take this product and move it forward. So, you know, we, we essentially followed the definition of quality and did the right thing with zero procedural overhead. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. so it, it is. I mean, th- this is, I guess, a, a concept or, or a definition that you can apply to any process. And, I mean, there, we talk about sort of the compliance-based drug development processes on the clinical side, maybe the, the development manufacturing side. But there are a lot of business processes that are in place that, that may have little or nothing to do with compliance. And yep. you, you need to think about them the same way, because sometimes those are the processes that are, that are creating the inefficiencies or creating the problems or the frustration. And, and I can give you examples of those, too. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about kind of all the, let's say, business data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about in your organization how resource planning is done. Yeah. And where the data for resources are, are stored and how much you need them and things like this. I've seen organizations where there's, you know, on each level of the organization, there's another data set. Yeah. There's the kind of study statistician that has its own data, how you plan things. There's a project statistician that has yet another data. There's the kind of therapeutic area that has yet another data. And then there's the kind of, don't know, VP or whatever that has yet another data set. Doesn't need a genius to conclude that most of the time, probably even all of the time, these data are not in alignment. It begs the question like, okay, what's the, again, thinking about, understanding meeting the needs of our prioritized customers okay who are the customers the are we going to need these data in the future how, how should we uh how should we integrate these data should we compare the data to make sure people have the same do we want to have a central storage place for this data 
Okay, now it doesn't need to beat all the bells and whistles of, of clinical data, but again, from a good business practice, what's the right thing to do here so that we can deliver on the needs of the many prioritized customers? Are we gonna come back and rethink this data? Okay, so it, it does, it, it really sort of begs all those questions and allows you to have a conversation that to then decide how much rigor do we wanna apply here to, you know, maybe putting a formal data structure in place or putting a more formal assessment process for this data or a process that we redo this every year. So do we wanna write something up that says, here's how we're gonna do it, okay? So I think, again, it, it doesn't sort of force you, oh, we need procedures. It just forces you, let's think about this. Let's think about it from a standpoint of the different customers and, and whether it, it, how we can structure this, approach it so it meets um, our business needs consistently and yep. sustainably. Yeah. Yep. So we talked a lot about kind of what compliance is, what kind of quality is. Yep. Uh, uh, we talked about Deming, and I can only, you know, reiterate that this is a really, really good thing to have to look into these these principles. Um, we'll also put them into a link to the, these in, in the show notes. And we talked about kind of what it means to be, you know, to have quality versus what it means to be compliant with the SOPs. And a couple of steps you can think about when you are maybe next time pulled into rewriting or updating an SOP and may think about it differently. And lastly, we also talked about, you know, quality in a, not just from what we do in a clinical delivery point of view or any other kind of, you know, medical data processing, but more generally, how do we deliver good quality in our work and, and, I think the five principles that we talked about here, patient first, integrity of data, uh, reproducibility, appropriate methodology, and professional integrity apply there as well. Any final call to action that you have for the listener? Yeah, so I, I think you summarized it really well. Um, I would go back to this, this notion of, of Deming's quality and not just thinking of it as well, that's what they do in manufacturing on the on the the physical process. But if if you talk to any sort of Deming disciple or anyone that studied Deming, you know that these principles can be applied anywhere in, in any business, in any industry, in any part of a business. I would add that you know take a look, and it's usually some of the business processes that that get in your way. Yeah, that you think of like gosh, this is such a, a pain. This just takes so much time. It's so inefficient. Well, maybe you should address it, okay? And, and I guess one of the messages is to think about that notion of what I said at the start in terms of all work is a series of processes. All processes are subject to variability. Pick the process that's, that's giving you headaches or, or affecting your team and, and go after it and try to fix it because that's the thing is whether it's with compliance processes or business processes or financial processes, those people that, that put those processes together, they, they're, most of them probably aren't coming to you and saying, is this working for you, the customer? So yeah. if it's not working for you, take it upon yourself to go to them and say, 
we need to fix this and here's why and I want to help, okay? Because a lot of time, those are the things that make make a difference. So in a sense, my call to action is to think about this, this notion of quality, this holistic notion of quality. Think of how you can tie your, your quality, your true quality into the business, okay? Gain a deeper understanding. I mean, go and look at Deming's 14 points. They're very sort of uh, provocative and, and you'll find that I think they're very consistent with a good business model. And, and then, you know, put these things into practice. Yeah. Um, again, not just for the numerical quantitative processes that you work with, but this will make life better, easier for, uh, for, for people around you. And that's what people want. I mean, they want to work in an environment where they feel confident, they feel empowered, they feel that it's, it's the, their direction in a sense is simple enough that they're not working in fear. It, it, wouldn't that be a, a wonderful culture and, and workforce to, to be a part of? Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. So stay tuned. There's a future session with Gary coming up on a different topic. And so stay tuned for that. And if you want to listen more to uh, Gary's insights and just scroll back into your podcast player, there's lots of further uh, discussions that we had. And I'm pretty sure there will be many future ones as well. So thanks a lot. Thank you. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and her team who helps with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about this podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health area. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.